Let's do this thing. Let's do it. I challenged Charlton to hit the music as I was walking into the studio. He was prepared. That's not true. He was prepared. He was ready. He was ready. Hello, I'm Kimberly Adams. Welcome back to Make Me Smart, where we make today make sense. I'm Kai Rizdal. Monday, 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 Monday. Y'all know what we do, right? Some news, uh, and then uh, a little bit of uh, Make Me Smile, and then uh, y'all will be on your merry ways. So, Ms. Adams, what do you got? I am so fascinated by Biden's meeting with Chinese, you know, Oh. Premier Xi. He's the president. Um, He's the president. Just yeah, started. He's the president. Yes, yeah. I always forget yeah. the the exact title. Anyway, yeah. very interested in Biden's meeting with Chinese pres- President Xi Jinping because this has been sort of the simmering story mm-hmm. in the background of U.S. politics in the midst of everything going on is these rising tensions with China, situations around Taiwan, situations around global trade, situations around cyber attacks and cybersecurity, whether or not China is going to be siding with Russia in its in its, you know, invasion of Ukraine and, you know, who's going to be the global power. And mm-hmm. this seemed to be a let's take a step back and calm things down <laughs> yeah. a bit. Yeah move. And um, I just find that really fascinating. And I think it's going to matter a lot, because there were a lot of issues that were sort of just on the edge of tipping into really mm-hmm. bad. I think that's right. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. yeah, so I'm I'm watching that. I'm, you know, I've sort of I'm, I missed the speech this morning, but I want to go back and, and listen to it. And I think that we're going to hear more and more. I mean, they talked for three hours. Yeah. yeah. That's a long time for world leaders, especially world leaders that have been in conflict, to be sitting down talking directly to each other. And, you know, to be frank, we're talking about the two most powerful countries on the planet right, right now. Right. Sitting Absolutely. together for three hours, basically hammering out how they're going to exist with each other yeah. on this planet. Yeah. And that has repercussions for all of us. Right. And to be clear, most powerful countries means geopolitically, but also economically, obviously, right? It's the one and two yes. economic powers. Yes. And, and it's so much hinges on this relationship. Look, it can be tense. It can be, uh, you know, slightly, um, uh, you know, um, um, uh, competitive, but, but you know, mm-hmm. confrontational and tipping over is, is not where we want that to be, for sure. For sure. All right. What do you have? Uh, so this is mine. This is a little wonky, but um, you heard it here first. Actually, that's not true. If you've been reading the Wall Street Journal <laughs> at all, you know that John Hilsenrath said it about uh, three four days ago. John Hilsenrath is the economics reporter at the at the journal who covers the Fed, and he has come to be known as the Fed Whisperer because his sources inside the building have been incredibly spot on when Mr. Hilsenrath has uh, reported uh, rate increases the last couple of times. Anyway, so Hilsenrath about three or four days ago said, yeah, it's going to be 50 basis points, a half percentage point when they meet uh, December 13 and 14. Lael Brainerd, the very well-respected, very influential, and very Jay Powell listens to her uh, vice chair of the Federal Reserve, came out in a speech. Actually, it wasn't a speech. It was a fireside chat event at Bloomberg. She's, she's, yeah, I know. It was was there actually a fire? I don't, I don't know. Probably <laughs> gas anyway, she, here's what Brainerd said. Quote, it will probably be appropriate soon to move to a slower pace of 
increases. But, and this is the important part, I think what's really important to emphasize, we've done a lot, but we have additional work to do. So that's really pretty much in line with what Powell said, right? It's not about when Mm -hmm. we start slowing down the increases. It's about how high rates eventually go and when they get there. But I think you can safely now look in December for a half percentage point rate increase, which will, of course, um, you know, make the markets uh, very happy and making observers say, oh, my God, the Fed is pivoting and all this jazz. But, you know, it's going to be 50 basis points. They're going to keep going for a while uh, because while inflation has has ticked down a little bit recently, 7.7 percent is nobody's idea of price stability. So that's no. that's that. Yeah. That's Hold that. on, let me just look. What are what, what are, are mortgage at? rates at now? Oh, seven point one ish. Last oh, week it was seven point okay. one ish on the thirty year. I'm seeing like six point six five right now. Oh, interesting. Um, but you know, yeah. Um, and let's sorry. As long as we're talking mortgages, yeah. let's remember at the beginning of the year you could get a thirty year fixed for three percent. I know. Right. That's the thing. I know. That's how yeah. far and how fast the Fed has come. The, the Fed has come so far, so stunningly fast. Yeah, That's, you know, so you know, not that uh, <laughs> economics uh, research papers are are necessarily always the most exciting reading, <laughs> but yeah, the papers that are going to be written about this time period later on, yeah. like once this is in hindsight, are, and I guess the the you know tell all books and and you know behind the scenes yep. thinking at the Fed and in politics are going to be so fascinating to you know basically navigate saying yes we know it might trigger higher unemployment yes right. we know it's going to make homes impossible to purchase for a lot of the a lot of people and but we got to do this yeah. and what that actually meant and a lot of that we're not going to know uh except in hindsight yep. but um totally yeah totally all right, all right then what do we got I'm glad you got too, because I uh, I, got I have too. only been chuckling at Twitter all weekend. So. Oh, I know. Oh my God. Anyway, uh, <laughs> so look, we these are actually shareable. So so one is is okay. kind of me wonky, and one is the both of us wonky. So I'll do the me one first. Mm-hmm. Um, there's an article in the New York Times today about the leap second, <laughs> and how it's going to go away because the planet is just too damn hard to figure out. Um, it's really interesting. It goes into timekeeping and orbital mechanics and all kinds of cool dorky stuff. And I just thought it was really interesting. It didn't so much as make me smile as go, huh, that's really cool. So, you know, just have a look. Have a look. The leap second is going away. One of our producers on the tech show, Jesus Alvarado, is is working on this story. I think they've they've already taped the conversation about the uh, this millennium clock. Mm-hmm. That's being basically built in a bunker way out in the desert with the idea that mm-hmm. after humanity is gone, this clock will still be running to, I guess, show whatever future civilizations come <laughs> oh, that, you know, yeah. <laughs> we were here or something. Yeah. It's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. What's the other one? So, so the shared one is just an update to a thing I noted the other day that the Artemis rocket, despite that hurricane uh, that mm-hmm. passed through Florida uh, a couple of days ago, Artemis is still go for launch to the moon on uh, the 16th, Wednesday, um, at like 1 o'clock in the morning. That's the launch window. So it's still there. It's still on the pad. they got to fuel it and check some things. But as of right now, we're going back to the moon. 
which is oh cool. My gosh. On Wednesday. We're going on Wednesday. What I'm... are you doing Wednesday? Oh, I'm going to the moon. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> right? I mean, that's just cool. It's pretty cool. I saw this, I don't know if it was on Instagram or TikTok. They all blend together. But um, on one of NASA's feed, they do this Q&A, like, you know, just space questions. And I guess someone asked the question, does anything orbit the moon? And, you know, the way that the moon orbits the Earth. And there are things orbiting the moon, mainly our stuff, like satellites mm-hmm. and CubeSats, including some that, you know, map the surface of the moon and all these other things. But I learned a really interesting new fact, which is that the moon is so lumpy that it's hard. It doesn't have consistent gravity all around it. Yeah. So the flight path of the satellites that are orbiting the moon have to be extremely carefully calculated because if it ends up in one of those weak gravitational Mm -hmm. patches, the gravity of the Earth could pull it out of orbit and send it spinning out into space. And if it gets too close to the moon, it will be pulled down and crash, you know, down to the surface of the moon. And so I thought that was really fascinating and cool. So let me indulge my inner geekery here for a minute. So those things Let's in the early days of the, in the early days of the Apollo program, those variation mm-hmm. variations in the moon's gravitational pull were called mass cons for mass concentrations. They were trying to figure out what it was inside the body of the moon that made those gravitational fields be so different. I bring that up because I just finished an awesome picture book, grown-up picture book, mm. not a kid's picture book, called Apollo Remastered. So what this guy has judged you if it was a kid's. I know. So here's the deal. This this guy named Andy Saunders. He's a Brit. He went to NASA. Those pictures are all in the public domain. Right. All the pictures that they Mm -hmm. took on the moon are in the public domain. So but what has happened is they they got back from the moon and they put them in a deep freeze and they made some dupes and this and that and all that jazz. But they've been basically sitting in a freezer since everybody got back from the moon. So what this guy did was he worked with NASA. They took them out. And they uh, digi- high quality digital scanned something like the fourteen thousand images they took. And this guy, okay, hold on one second. I think yeah. I need to pause for maybe okay. some of our younger listeners. Oh, sorry. The Apollo missions were before <laughs> digital imagery was a thing, which means those photographs right. were taken on film. On film, which is why he was saying. And when Kai said they made dupes, they didn't make. Fake right. ones. They made right. copies, duplicates. Sorry. Thank you. Sorry. <laughs> and the reason they had to be put in cold storage is because this kind of film is very sensitive to the ravages of time. Right. So to preserve right. the quality of the film itself, that's why it was in cold storage. Right. Kai, continue. I will continue. Sorry. So <laughs> they took the film out. They thought it. They made high-quality digital scans. And then this guy, Andy Saunders, went through and worked digital magic and retrieved the best quality images out of those. Because as you might imagine, these guys were engineers and flight test people and pilots. They're not photographers. So, Mm -hmm. you know, exposures were off and focus was off and this and that. So Andy Saunders went through and has now put out a picture book, which I can highly recommend, called Apollo Remastered. It is amazeballs photography from the, well, it's, it's the whole space program, but it's mostly Apollo. And it's incredible. And that's how I got on the topic of mass cons. Sorry. Anyway, that? No, that so was cool. interesting. It's so cool. And if you want a picture, coffee table picture book of Apollo, this is the one to get. Apollo Remastered. Sold. Yeah, it's Absolutely so sold. It's so good. It's so good. <laughs> anyway, there we go. Oh, that's, that's cool. Spiel. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go look for that. Yeah, that's um, the spiel. 
That is it, actually, for today. Now we're a little bit short, but oh, I'm going to use this time <laughs> to ask you how your experience on Mastodon is going, yeah, Kai. <laughs> I don't know yet. I haven't figured it out. I've figured out how to... I I've found seen it. posts that you well, have. Well, so here's Retweets the thing. I've, or I've, re Exactly. I figured oh, out the... The API, or somebody sent me the API, so that I can cross-post from Twitter to Mastodon. But I haven't figured out, number one, how to get my follower, uh, uh, the people I'm following on Twitter, onto Mastodon. I haven't figured that one out yet. So if anybody knows it, hit me up, uh, mm -hmm. you know, and, and send it to the show page, or we'll figure it out. Um, so there's that. And then I, I haven't really figured out how I'm going to use it yet because it's different and I don't know the server anyway yeah. so it's mixed I, I would say the results are mixed for me so far yeah, yeah. I send yeah. me that API because I'm, I will, yeah. I'm I'm sorting it out and thank you very much to all the listeners who've been sending me notes and suggestions and articles to read and somebody sent me a note today on Mastodon suggesting oh, that wow. uh, we get this our our accounts there's a, not exactly verification but there's a way to sort of validate you know linking oh, back to your bio page or something uh, so. Thank you to everybody who's trying to help me understand, but to help all of us understand, tomorrow we are going to do a deep dive on Mastodon. Like us, many of you have lots of questions about how it works and also, you know, what's going to happen to mm -hmm. these online conversations as Twitter mm -hmm. continues to spectacularly <sighs> implode. <laughs> um, and so we're going to talk to one of the leading researchers on Mastodon and talk about why this Twitter migration, what this Twitter migration might mean for uh, discourse going forward. Um, you know, we've talked a lot in many spaces about what it means for sort of our national discourse. But remember, you know, Twitter is a global platform. I first started using it when I was covering mm. Egypt. And mm. this platform meant so much yeah. to people all over the world uh, during revolutions and, and other things. And I wonder, you know, is Mastodon in some ways better for that kind yeah, of stuff um... because it's decentralized? But all these questions we can ask tomorrow. If you uh, have quit Twitter and join another social uh, media site, first of all, let us know which one and how you like it um, and why you decided to make that switch. Call us at 508-UB-SMART. Call us. Sorry, I know the word's <laughs> written in front of my page. Call us at 508-UB-SMART. Leave us a voicemail there. You can also email us, makemesmart at marketplace.org. Make Me Smart is produced by Marissa Cabrera and Courtney Bergseeker. Today's program was engineered by Charlton Thorpe. Ellen Rolfus writes our newsletter. Bridget Bonder is the senior producer of this podcast when she's not working on that other side hustle she has, which is another podcast called Million Bazillion. The director of On Demand, Inside the Marketplace Empire, is Donna Tan. 